0: Well, good morning. Isn't it awesome that we can be so reassured in our faith that we're able to sing the song that we just finished, that we believe without a shadow of a doubt in all of those things that we just sang. I just I love that song. It's so good. It just feeds my soul every time. My hands go up immediately. It is awesome. And I just think that is so good that we are all able to gather here today sitting inside here online, and worship that type of a god. But today, we're going to continue our series uh, entitled Daniel, or Stand, and uh, I'm immediately experiencing technical difficulties, but it's all good. And so, uh, we're going to focus on Daniel chapter 4. Our focus today is Stand Up, and we're going to look at how Nebuchadnezzar kind of falls into that habitual tendency of human beings to try to find an easy or a quick fix, And so, even though it may not be the best one, it may not be the best option, we're gonna look at kind of how the king falls into this tendency that we kind of have too. And so, what's the issue at hand? Well, before we get to that, we're gonna talk about a couple situations that maybe we've all entered into before with some friends. So, maybe you have a friend who wants to share news with you, but can't be that person for you, you don't go to them first. They're always the one that has the right answer that gives you that thing, but it's usually hard to hear, so you never go to them first for the answer. Maybe you have a friend like that. Or maybe it's a coworker who at work is looking around for somebody to be able to fix something for them, this or that in their lives. But they know that you're the best for the job, but they ask around. and They don't come to you first, even though they also know that you're the best for that job. But then they ask around, everybody confirms what everybody in the room already knows, that you were the best for that job, and then they come and ask you finally. And you're like, yep, totally, I'll do it. Works out perfectly, except it could have been done before the time that they actually came to you to ask. Maybe you've experienced that too. I know I've experienced that. I haven't always been a pastor, and so I worked in a warehousing environment before, and so I was able to be trained in multiple different areas, and... During that time, I was able to observe people and their strengths, and but then also in their areas of weakness, too. And so, typically, if somebody was sick, they would fill positions from within their own kind of context, right? That's typically how people do it. But for me, let's think of the example of an unloader at a shipping company. And so he takes stuff off of the And once this tree is chopped down, the things that need to happen are the branches are cut off. The fruit is scattered, but they cut it down to a stump. And so they aren't able to fully remove it. But a stump is left, but it's chopped down and removed. And then this dew that's falling on the man. This is a symbol of the man no longer having a home. But it also has this man turning into a mind like a beast. He's no longer having this human mind, but a beastly mind, an animal-like mind. And he's also transitioned to a place where he has to live amongst the beasts in the wild, no longer has a home. And amongst that, that's going to last for not just a day, it's not just a hiccup, it's for seven periods of time that this is going to happen. So this is the dream that has Nebuchadnezzar troubled. So what did he do? He tries to figure it out from within. He brings in his buddies, the astrologers, all of the people, the diviners that are local, and asks them to interpret this dream. What do you think happens? Well, if we look back to Daniel 2, he also does this, and they can't interpret it there either. So they can't interpret it here. But we need to also think about these Dream interpreters. They're not wanting to predict bad news for the king. They're not wanting to lose their position. They don't really want to have to share this type of thing. It should be fairly reasonable that they're able to figure this dream out. Now, if we think about Daniel 2, he actually does like eliminate all of these people because they can't interpret this dream. So you might be thinking, well, these guys are new. We can probably cut them some slack. Um, They probably don't know everything at this time. They probably could figure this out. But that's not the case. This is 40 years difference between Daniel 2 and Daniel 4 here. So these guys have been around for a while. They should be able to interpret this thing. But their inability is still pretty striking to me doesn't really make any sense. This is a pretty common thing. But also, we see that these people are just unwanting to share this message too, which helps for Daniel in the end, who becomes the necessary person in the story. He needs to be asked to come along. Why is it so striking to me that they can't interpret this dream? It's so striking because this tree is a major symbol in the time. It's well known. Now, it's not contained in a ton of the literature, but it is contained in all of the iconography of the time as a major motif. So what's a motif, you might be asking? Sounds like a pretty cool word. It's not super technical, but what is it? Well, it's actually when a symbol becomes a reoccurring significant part of a story. That's basically what a motif is. So this tree is a reoccurring theme, something that's common and known by the people of the time. And it's known as this representation of a divine order. This huge tree, it's it's the divine order, and it's often upheld by the king. And so the king is the representation in human form, sometimes, of this divine order by this. Also with that, you have the fact that the king was then equated sometimes with God, and he even was considered to be possibly a perfect man. And so this is common knowledge. So them not being able to interpret this doesn't make any sense. But they can't. For some reason, it's not just that they, they don't want to, they just don't, aren't able to. But then we continue on, and Daniel is asked to come, and now he's faced with a choice again. He has to choose which kingdom he's going to serve first again. We think back to Daniel 1, when Daniel chooses correctly and doesn't eat the food of the king. Think in Daniel 2, when he does interpret the dream and accepts that burden. And then again in Daniel 3, like we just heard last week, where he does not kneel to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, but faces the fiery furnace with true faith in serving the kingdom first. And so he does it here again in Daniel 4 and interprets the dream. He doesn't mince words. He chooses correctly again to serve God first. He enters into this story not by immediately then being like, haha, you're the king, you're going to be chopped down, it's going to, you're going to get wrecked, bud. This is it for you. It's going to suck. That's not how he starts. He starts... By trying to say to the king, King, I wish, this is in verse 19, he says, I wish, I'm obviously paraphrasing, I wish that this wasn't about you. If it was my decision, I wouldn't proclaim this to be about you. But that isn't what the case is. And Daniel knows that. He knows the interpretation. He has this ready, available to himself. And so he tells the king, he says the interpretation King, this is about you. This tree represents you. This man will be you. He says this in verses 24 through 26 to him. He does it correctly. That kind of sucks for Nebuchadnezzar. If I'm Nebuchadnezzar, I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is terrible. You mean I'm going to lose my place in society? You mean that I'm not going to be able to be king anymore? Do you mean that I have to live like an animal? Do you mean that my mind is going to be completely gone? This sucks. But that doesn't change how Daniel interprets this dream, does it? He tells him it no matter what. Just trying to catch up here. Give me a quick second. (laughs) But Nebuchadnezzar still really doesn't get it. Daniel lays it out plainly. If we look at verse 24 again, these are his exact words. He says, O king, it is a decree of the most high of God, which has come upon you, my lord and king even when Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel in the beginning, he calls him by his Babylonian name, way back at the start of this chapter. This reveals that the king, even after the first dream, even after the fiery furnace, he still sees Daniel like every other prophet and diviner of the land, simply linked to one of the holy gods in his polytheistic perspective. But what really is happening is that Daniel is giving him A message from the one, from the only God, Yahweh, the only God that can truly make all things known, just like the dream in Daniel 2, that Daniel hadn't even heard but was able to interpret, and also make all things happen, like saving him from the fiery furnace. Verse 24 leaves very little to the imagination, and if we look at verse 27 in this passage, we see that there is even instruction on what he could do to change his situation. The words say, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You would think that this is pretty plain. This is what you got to do. This is what you have to change. Twelve months go by, and nothing really seems to change in the king's heart. Nebuchadnezzar is said to be walking around his roof and proclaiming how great his kingdom is how amazing his accomplishments are. So then immediately, no sooner does he say those words than is the dream fulfilled. Exactly how Daniel had interpreted it. Kind of gets what he deserves. This is a great story. I like it. I spent all week in it, so, you know, it's a great story. But, what does that do for us today? Well, the interpretation is all part of God's plan to highlight a particular sin in Nebuchadnezzar's life. But, if that is the case, why aren't those sins just plainly said to the king? Didn't he actually set up this great divine order, this tree that was, pre- was there? Shouldn't that be celebrated? This entire chapter... Of Daniel 4, leads to identifying the sin, and we now see why God called Daniel to stand up and proclaim that truth to the king. God calls Daniel to stand up and proclaim truth, but not just truth to tell somebody that they're wrong or to highlight a fault in their life, healing truth for the king. The truth is about the sin in his life The greatest sin, his greatest sin, pride. Now this may seem like something too simple to deserve the punishment that the king receives in this passage. Seven years all by himself. This may seem like something that could have been dealt with in a different way. But it is not something that is simple. And it is receiving the justified response. So, what does being prideful actually mean? And why is it deserving of such a tough response from God? Well, pride is simply understood as when we look into a situation and try to compare ourselves to someone or something else and then find ourselves to be better or greater than the other person or thing. Pride is competition. It is the need to be er in comparison to everyone and everything else. Now, er is not actually a word. Er is the ending of the word that makes pride competitive in its nature. It's not about being rich, having lots of money. That is not bad. That is not pride to be rich. Pride comes in when you need to be richer than that person. It's not about being strong. It's about being stronger when pride enters than somebody else or something else. It's not about being smart. That's not, it's not prideful to be smart. It's prideful when you have to be smarter than somebody else pride for the king is contained in verse 30. He proclaims things like great Babylon. I built my mighty power, he says. Look at my royal residence. For the glory of my majesty, he says. The king thinks it's all because of him that his kingdom is there. But the entirety of the narrative of Daniel so far is for him to realize that God is actually the one orchestrating all things. And that humility and thankfulness is the main posture you need to hold. C.S. Lewis highlights pride to be the great sin in his book, Mere Christianity. And he speaks so much truth about how to fully understand sin This sin, truth like how pride is the sin that no one person can truly ever avoid. That's why this is such a hard punishment. That's why it's contained in Daniel. This is a sin that nobody, myself included, can avoid. And it often sneaks into our midst. It is a sin that's almost unconscious in all of our lives. A good way to realize it, if you haven't already, if it's in your present life, is by looking at how you are outraged or react when you see it in others. Think of the speck in the plank illustration. We see that speck and we react with outrage, but we haven't looked at ourselves when we probably have a plank of the same sin in our own life. He also states, C.S. Lewis, that pride is the sin that forces us to take a posture of always looking down at others and elevating ourselves. This is that concept of of rich and richer, strong or stronger, smarter or smarter that we just mentioned. This need to look down at others. And what is so obviously true about the fact that when you're stuck looking down, what can't you do? You can't look up and take that position of humility and thankfulness in your life. So how can we here today start to deal with pride in our own lives and then pride in the world? There's two things we can do. So we can stand up like Daniel. Standing up like Daniel is being able to see the truth in the world and willing to speak that truth into others' lives around us. If we look at Galatians 6 verse 1, It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We are to speak into the lives of those around us. We do so, though, in the spirit of gentleness. We just finished a series on the fruit of the spirit, and gentleness was covered there. And the main point that we boiled it down to was this, that we need to have restrained action with others. And it comes only from us becoming humble before God and trusting in his plan and giving him control. That's exactly like what Daniel does here when he tries to speak gently to the king. We already mentioned verse 19, where Daniel tries to say, I wish this dream wasn't about you, but it doesn't change the fact that it is and then again in verse 27 when he tries to give him solutions to lengthen his prosperity as a king he surrounds his message of truth with gentleness. The second part though of Galatians 6:1 needs to be present in our lives as well if we're going to stand up like Daniel. It says keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. This is key because we need to remember That in the moments when we speak into others' lives, it's not speaking from a place of pride in ourselves Because we've got it all figured out. We're speaking from a place where we know we need the healing truth that we're sharing just as much as the person we're sharing it with. We're not looking down on those, but we're looking directly at them because we're there with them. It is speaking healing truth into their life, standing up and speaking that truth from a place of sincere care for those around us. And that's what Daniel does here. He still speaks the truth, but not to raise himself up and not to look down on others, but to try to draw the king closer to God in the end. So we can stand up like Daniel. And secondly, we can look up like Nebuchadnezzar. We can also look up like Nebuchadnezzar does in verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar finally acknowledges that God is truly in control and praises and honors God rather than himself. When the king looks up, he's finally able to see the majesty and the glory of God instead of himself. And realize that walking in pride like he had been will prevent him and it can prevent us from ever being able to actually finally look up and truly walk in humility and thankfulness. So when we stand up, when we look up, we tend to be able, less able, to cling to things that we had previously held to so tightly I know that when I lift weights, there's a point in a deadlift where your grip just wants to let go. This is never. The point that you're, that you're going to drop the weight, and so a deadlift, you pick it up like this, is never, it's never at the bottom when I'm holding. It's, that's not when my grip is going to let go. And it's not when I'm looking down at the weights either. The time when I feel like I need to let go is when I finally stand up. Is when I finally feel like I need to let go of the things that I was so holding on to tightly. The things we are now forced to let go of because we stood up like Daniel are often the things that may have been holding us back from being able to first even look up. Our focus was so much here, but since we stood up and are open to the truth, we can now let go of those things and look up to God. And secondly, because of that, we're also able to have hands that are open now, that we can lift in praise and thankfulness, and that we can receive blessing and humility. So today, as we close, let us remember that pride is a sin that touches us all, but we can do two things. We can stand up like Daniel and we can look up like Nebuchadnezzar so that we can let go of those things that we're focused on down here so that we're able to have hands open wide, look up and be able to see the majesty, see the glory of God and truly walk humbly with our God. We pray with me? God, we thank you for the truth contained in your word. The truth that we as humans are fallen and sin is in our life, Lord. That's just a fact, but you have come and bridged that gap. You give us teaching like this, but you also sent your son to die for us on the cross and bridge the gap that sin created. And we thank you for that And Lord, today, there is somebody here who doesn't know you. Soften their heart now. Let them be able to stand up and see the truth that you are in their life. Allow them to be able to look up at you and see your majesty and your glory. And Lord, because of that, allow them to let go so that their hands are open to receive the blessing you want to pour out on them, but also that they can lift their praise to you in the end, Lord. We thank you that we can do that and that you are there listening, welcoming the praises we lift to you. God, you are amazing and we love you. In your name, amen.